We are continuing our summer sermon series, What If It's a Long Trip? That's a question one of the youngest among us, one of our children, asked at the end of a church, children's sermon back in March, Maggie Seaman, and it felt like a prophetic question. What if all of this is a long trip? What if we are, in fact, in for the long and so we've taken the summer to look at different scriptures and different stories that speak to a long trip and then provide resources and insight for what it is to walk faithfully on the long journey of obedience in the long spaces of wilderness. Today we've heard a passage from Ecclesiastes that we'll look at in the sermon in just a few moments. We're also going to hear a passage now from Romans chapter 16 verses 1 through 16, which is probably not often one read in worship, and yet I think it has a timely message for all of us. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church at the very end of this letter to the Romans. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church at Senecrae, so that you may welcome her in the Lord as is fitting for the saints, and help in whatever way she may require from you. For she has been a benefactor of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, who work with me in Christ Jesus, and who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epanetus, who was the first convert in Asia for Christ. Greet Mary, who has worked very hard among you. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my relatives who were in prison with me. They are prominent among the disciples, and they were in Christ before I was. Grant Ampliatus, my beloved, in the Lord. Grant Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, my beloved, Stachys. Greet Apelles, who's approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my relative Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those who work in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and greet his mother, a mother also to me. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers and sisters who are with them. Greet Philologos, Julia, Nerus, and his sister Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to share about another recent virtual coffee that I very much underestimated. It was about three weeks ago, and that time the theme was music. Share about a favorite musician or, or band or group that you would want to hear live in a coffee house setting. If right now today you could hear any, any musician or band or group live in that intimate setting, who would it be and why? The first hand raced up. I call on this congregant, and they go, Abba. Abba? 
Like Dancing Queen, the, the rocking out in this coffee house. Yeah, Abba, Dancing Queen in the coffee house. I thought that is going to be a rocking coffee house. This is something. Well, then the hands just start raising left and right with, with yet other ideas for this coffee house setting. Garth Brooks and Trisha Yearwood. Johnny Cash. Herb Alpert in the Tijuana Brass. And I took some good-natured ribbing at this point because I didn't know who that was. The Highwaymen. Dave Brubeck. The Eurythmics. Jose Feliciano. Willie Nelson. Johnny Mathis. And with each name shared, the participant shared a personal story, a memory about why that artist or that song held particular meaning, why it would be so meaningful to hear them, that person, in an intimate setting. Some of them shared stories from, from parts of their past they'd rarely considered in years. It, it was remarkable. What everyone on Zoom did not know is that the very same time they were naming an artist or a band that they'd love to see in that coffee house setting, Jamie Cowan, our communications director, was furiously Googling to find a YouTube video of that artist or that band playing that song live in concert. And so once everyone was finished sharing their musician and their song, Jamie shared her screen on Zoom and showed everyone else clips of each artist or band playing their favorite song. We, we basically went to the coffee house together and watched every single favorite artist and song. And if you've been Zooming regularly in these recent months, you know that when someone shares their screen, as Jamie did, you can see the video of what Jamie's sharing, but on the side of your computer, you can also see the faces of some of the folks who are in that Zoom meeting with you, which means you can both watch the musician and see the peoples in the congregation, their reactions. And this is where I deeply underestimated this particular activity. I thought we'd share uh, for an hour some, some fun memories, a few songs, and that would be that. I had no idea what some of the people's reaction would be when the musicians and the songs came on. For some, you could see deep smiles for other for others, now knowing how important that particular song was as it came on. For some, there were these knowing nods and faces you could see filling with memories and love as a certain song and a certain artist came on in the presence of others. Occasionally, there was a tear or two as the music drew forth something from the soul that, that perhaps even the participants themselves could not quite describe. Two are better than one, declares the ancient wisdom of Ecclesiastes. And how simply, how beautifully that truth was affirmed in this music-filled hour, even over Zoom. Because, right, each of these people could have not attended virtual coffee, turned on their favorite musician, their favorite song, and, and, and listened quite meaningfully and wonderfully that morning on their own. And yet being together offered a qualitatively different experience, even nourishment. It was like the stories that were shared at the outset opened the hearts, and then having opened these hearts into that open space flowed the music, even across all our distance, and it found a way to knit our hearts together in a sense that, in the sense that we are in this together. Unconsciously, but quite truly, we experience the most elemental truth that, 
two are better than one. That as the author of Ecclesiastes goes on to say from there, you know, we really do pick one another up. We really are a strength unto one another. This is a scripture often used for weddings, but in context it speaks to really any human relationship, marriage, business partnerships, friendships. It is a passage that alludes to Genesis when God notes that it is not good for Adam to be alone. Adam needs a helpmate, foundational to our human DNA is the truth that we are made for relationship, for connection, for family, for one another. It's not that alone time is wrong. Goodness, Jesus himself goes off to pray frequently by himself. But most fundamentally, when Jesus calls the disciples, he calls a community, a diverse one at that. And when he sends his disciples to do the work of ministry, he sends them two by two. Two are better than one. Now, if you were listening to Susan's reading of, of Ecclesiastes chapter 4 earlier in the service, you might feel like that particular insight comes out of nowhere. The author of Ecclesiastes for chapters 1, 2, 3, and, and, and into 4 uh, is moving through a, a space where he's observing different parts of the world and feeling overwhelmed by the meaninglessness and difficulty of it all. Chapter 4, which you heard read by Susan, begins, I, I look to this part of the world, I see the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. I see all the powers on the side of the oppressor and there is no one to comfort the oppressed. The oppression and evil strikes the author as so pervasive and so awful that, that he goes on in our passage to say, actually, it's so bad, it would be better to be dead than alive so as to no longer have to see this. Better, he goes on just a bit further, is the one who hasn't even been born, so they've not ever even known about this. It's really a quite dark place where this author is right now in the face of reality. And to be fair, the author's not alone in Scripture. I mean, faced with great personal trial, Job himself at one point cries out, May the day of my birth perish. That day may it become darkness. May God above not care about it. The prophet Jeremiah at one point, when seeing the sins of God's own people and seeing the way God's own people are treating him, he cries out and says, Why did I ever come out of the womb to see the trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? These are not the scriptures we put on our bumper stickers. But this is very much where the author of Ecclesiastes is at this moment. No answers, only pain, disillusionment. The author then pivots in our passage from moving from those painful observations to a brief observation about work and rest. And we're not going to go into all the details of that part of the passage. But to suffice it to say, he observes some of the futility around workaholism and getting more and more that he sees as well as the futility and wallowing and laziness. And again, he is disillusioned by what he sees. The bottom line is this is a person who's disillusioned. He's exasperated. When he looks out upon the world and, and perhaps even unto himself, he, he just generally doesn't see how things can change. 
What has been will be again, he says earlier in Ecclesiastes. So, so then how in the world, in the very next sentence, does he say, two are better than one? Followed then by practical examples of how two people really are better and can make a difference. How do you move from the space of profound resignation to a word of hope about what is possible with two? The truth is, when we finish the Zoom meeting, everything around us remained in deep uncertainty as to what will unfold. COVID-19, protests, unemployment, family situations, every one of these things remained as, as pressing and as real and aching and perhaps in some cases as overwhelming as, as ever. And yet, I confess my soul was in a different place for having spent time hearing the stories and the music and watching you all hear and listen to one another and one another's music. I began the sense, you know, the real gift of that time together was not so much all the stories, though those were vital and, and beautiful. It wasn't even the music itself as wonderful as that was. The real gift of that time was the way it engendered further a sense of belonging among us. Again, the, the problems of our lives, of, of, of our nation, of this world, were not solved in that hour. But is it not the gift of belonging? Is it not the gift of belonging that is the first priority for bringing about real change? In one of his recent opinion editorials, David Brooks wrote, if you don't have a fierce sense of belonging to each other, you're not going to sacrifice for the common good. Belonging begets a willingness to sacrifice for the greater good, which surely drives change. Is this not why the God of the universe came among us as a human in Jesus? Jesus belonged fully with us and among us. Jesus tied himself to our, our stories, our ways, our trials. He chose to belong to us and for us, even despite us. In fact, as scripture declares time and again, God cannot but keep covenant with us. God belongs in this marriage to God's people for better or for worse. And in this radical, it is this radical sense of belonging to us and for us that is shown forth most powerfully in God's willingness to sacrifice upon a cross for us. A fierce sense of belonging begets sacrificial love that changes the world. I can't say for certain why the author of Ecclesiastes looks up from, from the devastating, overwhelming oppression and injustice that he sees, the workaholism that he sees burying lives, and in his disillusionment suddenly declares two are better than one, and they can make some headway. But I wonder if at some level he knows that if a people can recognize afresh just how deeply and profoundly they belong to one another, if a people can recognize afresh that, that they are a people before they are a person, 
Therein they shall find the resolve to offer themselves in sacrificial ways that can actually move the needle in this world with so much that seems impossible. A fierce sense of belonging begets sacrificial love. In this strange time, in this trying time, in this distanced time of ours, how might we discover afresh this gift of deeply belonging to one another and so nourish that gift of sacrificial love that we ourselves so need in this world desperately needs? Much could be said about that, but for this morning, I'm mindful of Romans chapter 16, which you heard me read earlier. It's a long chapter because Paul finds the specificity of his greeting to be quite important. He understands that he belongs to these people by name and that they belong to him and one another by name and all of them belong by grace in Jesus Christ. Paul also knows that in the chapters leading up to chapter 16, this final chapter in the book of Romans, he has called the church to a great deal of sacrificial love. And such love is most fully engendered by a deep sense of belonging. So what if we took our cue from Paul this morning as we seek to remember that we do in fact belong to one another, we do in fact need one another, we are in fact a vital gift to one another. What if, for instance, we wrote out our own greetings to FPC Georgetown? Or if, if you're tuning in, you don't belong to First Presbyterian Church, Georgetown, maybe you belong to another church, think, think about folks at that church. But what if, either in our minds right now, or quite literally on paper right now or later, we wrote out a, a greeting to First Presbyterian Church? What, what names does God start to put on our heart as we fill in the blanks of Romans chapter 16, mindful of First Presbyterian Church? Greet who works with me in Christ. Greet to whom I give thanks. Greet who's worked very hard among you. Greet my relative. Greet the family of. Greet the beloved. Who are some of the names and faces who start to come to mind? Some perhaps you think about or pray about daily. Maybe are any of them names you had completely forgot about? Any from the 8.30 service or any from the 11 o'clock service? Any among us who are homebound? Any on your heart who are among our newest members? Our longest time members? Are any of the folks on your heart some of our youngest disciples? What about some of the folks that live elsewhere for part of the year? So, you know, maybe they're only able to be part of the congregation for part of the year. Do they come to mind? And what would it look like in this coming week as you list out mentally or quite literally those names that you greet uh, and you would pray for those folks? Or, or maybe you'd send a couple notes or a couple texts or a couple words of encouragement to the ones landing most fully or most surprisingly on your heart this day. Maybe a phone call or two. I mean, what, how is God leading? Many of you I know have been doing this very thing. These are, are, are hardly revolutionary acts of love. And yet, especially in a time 
We cannot be together in person, especially when the challenges of this world, this nation before us seem so weighty, uncertain, even impossible. These kind of acts are absolutely foundational and essential and ongoing. For these small acts proclaim afresh that we belong to one another. They fuel the fire of love that burns always unto sacrificial love unto the greater good. And such acts, they always open hearts. Which makes me mindful that the author of Ecclesiastes ultimately declares at the very end of the passage, not just that two are better than one, but that a cord of three strands cannot be broken. And I believe it is always true that as people genuinely open their hearts unto one another, even across all measure of distance, the Holy Spirit faithfully flows like a musical chord, knitting two strands into an unyielding sense of belonging. And what great love plays forth when one knows that they belong. 